Our text this morning is from the book of Mark, and we're going to be looking at verse, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to that book now. It's Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. Uh, if, yeah, there might be a Bible in front of the but there's a lot of people, so you have to fight for them. I don't know if we want that kind of stuff. So, the words will also be on the screens beside me. We read the word of the Lord this morning. We've been sitting for a little while. I'm going to encourage you to stand, if you're able, as we read the word of the Lord together. Mark 16, 1-7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James... And Salome bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Church, have you ever felt darkness? This past week, the president of our synod, uh, Paul Larson, put out an article titled, A Darkness to be Felt. And in it, he references a passage in the book of Exodus where Moses is negotiating with the Pharaoh for the release of the Israelites from bondage. A number of plagues have already taken place, and then, and then we get to the plague that takes place in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, where we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. As I sat in that statement from God, those words from an ancient text, I began to wonder what a darkness that could be felt would be like. Have I, have I ever felt darkness? I mean, I've, I've been in some dark rooms sometimes at, at youth. You'll, we'll, we'll turn out the, the lights and play look out for the bear, and, and there are some corners that are ambient light just doesn't quite make its way to And an inky blackness kind of like settles over that spot or that corner or that stairwell. And no one wants to go near it. No one wants to feel that darkness. Because there is is fear associated with the darkness that can be felt, isn't there? I mean, I've, I've been deep in caves. I've been in a room without windows or we shoved a towel under the door to stop the possibility of, of light coming in from the outside to see just how dark we could get things. I mean, it was dark. It was, it was real dark. But did I feel the darkness? In Egypt, the text tells us that the darkness that could be felt made it so that the lack of light caused people to stay where they were. Like, like people didn't move for three days. 
The darkness paralyzed them with fear. They had no way of moving for their benefit, man. They weren't cooking. They couldn't see to pick up their food. They couldn't move around the house. They didn't dare to try going outside. The darkness was so intense that there was no light. It's it's not like they could light a candle and see. The darkness would smother the light, and, and so they lay there unable to move, unable to see each other, paralyzed by fear, overcome by the darkness. In that type of darkness, your mind plays tricks on you. You you begin to convince yourself of things that you know aren't real. Almost as if the lack of light before their eyes began to manifest in their hearts. Almost as if the darkness that surrounded them began to take root and make a home in their hearts. Now that, that is a darkness felt. I have felt the darkness when I have lain awake, unable to sleep because of pains in my body that that don't seem natural and my mind takes me to the worst possible conclusion. I've felt darkness as I've watched my child's fever rise to scary levels and have felt helpless against the sickness that they are fighting. I have felt darkness, panic, fear, anxiety, depression as I received a diagnosis for a loved one, a diagnosis I had no ability to change or affect. There was nothing I could do. And I felt darkness holding the body of that little child I loved so much. And I feel traces of that darkness every time I hear of another friend, acquaintance, or stranger that faces the same type of loss that we did. So yes, in my own ways, I have felt darkness. Have you, church? I don't know what it is that keeps you from sleep at night. I don't know what emotional baggage you carry around. I don't know what darkness you have felt. I don't know how you have felt the brokenness of the world and had to deal with, live with its effects. But I know that the darkness of sin has left its mark on each of us. Maybe it's life circumstances. Maybe it's that bully at school or the difficult person at work. Maybe finances are brutal. Maybe you're sick or someone that you love is sick. I I don't know how the brokenness of this world is making your life hard. I I don't know how the darkness is touching you, but I know that none of us live this life unscathed. Darkness is felt by each of us. And the truth is, though we may be loath to admit it, The truth is that like the darkness that surrounded the Egyptians those many years ago, the darkness that surrounded them and then made its way into their hearts, like them, the darkness of this world has made its way into our hearts as well, hasn't it? Though it didn't have far to go, for in fact we were born with it. It was passed down to us from Adam, the brokenness of the world, sin, falling short, not being good enough, we were each born with it. And that darkness in my heart has caused me, tempted me, to do things that I'm ashamed of, that I'm embarrassed of, things that I have, I have hurt people that I love. I've responded to my children in anger, yelling and using words I wish I could take back. I've said things to my wife that I'm ashamed of. I have been selfish. I've been mean, even, even cruel. I have done things, taken actions that embarrass me. I have not been a perfect husband, father, friend, brother, pastor. 
I've not loved like I want to love. I've acted in ways that are below me. I've fallen short. I've hurt people that I care so deeply about. I want to, I want to blame others, right? Like I, I want to blame circumstances. They're the ones that made me angry. They're the ones that, that pushed my buttons. If, if everyone had just done things my way, like the way that I wanted them to, then everything would have been fine. It would, it would have been great. I, I wouldn't have hurt you like this if you had just done what I wanted you to do. And as I say the words, like alarm bells are going off in my head. Am I, am I even listening to myself? Anyone else? have those moments, anyone else able to relate to a broken sinner like me? It often doesn't take me too long to recognize how sinful I am. That is pretty clear, pretty quick. And as I've sat in that shame, that guilt, yes, I have felt darkness. Felt it in a whole new and incredibly uncomfortable way. And if I can't stop from hurting those I love, those I care about, what chance do I have of doing the things that I'm supposed to do? What chance do I have of keeping myself from doing all of the things that I shouldn't be doing? What hope do I have? What hope do any of us have have of conquering the darkness? And in that, I, we are like the disciples, aren't we? A few thousand years ago, a bunch of disciples were sitting in a dark room struggling with hope themselves. The the Sabbath had ended. Their good friend and teacher had been crucified. The hope that he would overthrow the Romans and establish a Jewish state is gone. Added to that, they are wanted by the religious leaders of the day. One of them, a, a really close friend of the deceased, denied even knowing him and is now living in that guilt and shame. And then the light begins to dawn. It's just after sunrise, and though the men are languishing in their self-pity, fear, depression, and anxiety, a few of the women know that it's time to care for the body of their teacher, their friend. And so as the light begins to force back the darkness of the night, they make their way to the tomb, having no idea how they're going to roll that huge stone out of the way. And just as they get there, Just as they get there, they see that it has been done for them. Shocked, they they run up to the grave. Did someone take the body? What new atrocities are in store for their friend? But no, the the body's gone, and and they're sitting on the right-hand side of the tomb is, is a man. Our text this morning tells us that the women were alarmed. This is the only place in Scripture that we find this word that we have translated as alarmed. It's it's a compound verb used to express strong fear and agitation. To put it bluntly, they were terrified. And knowing how the women felt, the words of the man who from other Gospels we know to be an angel, the words of this heavenly being are, do not be terrified. He speaks directly to the emotions that he knows that they are feeling. Do not be afraid. I know you've been going through a darkness that you could feel. I know you've been going... Yeah, I know that you don't understand all the things that have been going on. You don't understand why Jesus had to die. You don't understand how he could have let that happen to himself. You don't understand why you are going through the things you're going through. I know that it doesn't all make sense. 
You're on the good side, right? You believe the truth. Aren't things supposed to work out for the good guys? I know you don't get it all yet, but I want you to know is this. Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are looking for, the one who was crucified, he is not here. He has risen. See the place where they laid him. Go, tell the disciples, tell Peter. Tell Peter, the one that's kicking himself for how he ended things. For the last things he said while his dear friend was alive, tell Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. The one that you are looking for, the one who was crucified, he has risen. I can't imagine what was going through the minds of the women in that moment. I, I highly doubt that they were thinking much beyond the terror of coming face to face with an angel, quickly followed by the euphoria of the angel's message. Their friend is alive? He's, he's risen? The joy of the women must have, the joy the women must have felt as they ran back to tell the disciples. And it's, it's a great, fantastic, awesome story, but what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us feeling, sitting in our darkness? I love the way that famed novelist, historian, and brilliant scholar J.R.R. Tolkien put it. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day, everything sad will come untrue. What a statement. I love the hope that it proclaims. I love the truth that it emphasizes. For God is not unaware of the darkness in this world. He is not unaware of the darkness in our hearts, but that darkness has not stopped our God from loving us. And so he sent us Jesus, his only son. He sent us Jesus who taught us and loved us and called us, who healed our sick and cast out our demons, who fed us when we were hungry, who lived a perfect life, never once sinning. And what was our response? Denial and betrayal. We turned him over to those who meant him harm. And Jesus was convicted in a rigged trial and sent to die on a cross. And as he carried the lumber up that hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull, to Calvary, he carried not just the cross but the sins of the world. Every time that we have failed, every time that we have fallen short, every time that we have sinned, every darkness that we have felt, Christ carried it. And as the nails went through his hands and feet, and as he was raised up, his humility was, was put on display. The Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for us. He took all of the sin of all of mankind throughout all time. That sin that you have done and that sin that you're going to do, Jesus took all of it. And there on the cross, he, he suffered for it. And there on the cross, he paid the price that, that we could not. And there on the cross... Jesus uttered the words, it is finished. And then he surrendered his spirit, dying for us in our place. And if that's where it ended, if, if Good Friday was where it ended, then there would be no reason for us to be gathering this morning. But church, he did not stay dead, did he? As the angel told the women, he is not here. He has risen. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when our hope and our faith is put in him, we are saved. 
The Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus, the dirty rags of our sinfulness are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That we, through faith, are brought into the family of God and declared co-heirs with Christ. And all the promises that the Bible gives us, all the hope that it contains, is for us, us, through faith, in Christ. What, What a promise. What a thing to celebrate. Though we may feel the darkness, it does not need to have hold on us anymore. For our Savior rose from the grave. He defeated the darkness. A new day has dawned. Does the darkness of the world scare you? Does the pain and heartache of the losses we experience in this life make you afraid? Then may the voice of the angel who spoke to the women speak to your heart today. For God knows what you are feeling and responds, do not be afraid. I know you've been going through a darkness that you could feel. I know you don't understand all the things that have been going on. You don't understand why you're going through the things you're going through. I know it doesn't all make sense. You're on the good side, right? You, you believe in Jesus Christ and call him Lord and Savior. Aren't things supposed to work out for the good guys? Then it's like God takes a breath, gives us a big hug and says, I know I know you don't get it all yet. What I want you to know is this. Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who was crucified, he has risen. And with his rising, he has conquered the darkness of the world. And though we still live amongst the brokenness because of Jesus and his work on the cross and his rising from the grave, we know that this life here is not the end. That one day the darkness will be completely overcome and because of our faith in Jesus, we will live in that day. We will live in his victory. I love the verses that Erling read for us early today, earlier today. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The sacrament of baptism is a pretty amazing thing. It is a fantastic means of grace for us. In baptism, we tangibly receive the promises that Christ's death and resurrection have for us. For according to the the Apostle Paul, we join him in them. Here at Calvary, as we've seen, when we baptize someone, we, we sprinkle water onto their heads, which is, is totally cool. It, it's biblical. The Bible doesn't give us a set amount of water that we're supposed to use for baptism. We just have the promise that God works through the water and the word. So sprinkling is 100% acceptable. That said, I do kind of like wish we had a big old pool up here for baptism. I'm, I'm going to submit a request, but the trustees, I don't know if they're going to sign off on, uh, on that, that particular uh, deal. But, but I love it. I love it because the visual of someone going under the water and then coming out of the water is such a great picture of what we receive spiritually in baptism. Going under the water is death, a a death that, that Paul tells us that when we are baptized, we are joining Jesus in. No, we we don't get on the cross with him. He he did that work, right? But when we enter the waters of baptism, when we go beneath the waves, when it is sprinkled upon our heads, there is a tangible example of death. We can't breathe underwater. We, we can't survive there. 
And there's a stillness beneath the waves, a stillness like the grave. And then we are brought above the waters. Air enters our lung and we have left death behind and entered a new life. It's a fantastic picture given to us by God in baptism and made clear for us in Scripture. For in baptism we receive faith. And in faith we are given a new life. We are brought back from the dead spiritually that we might live forever with Christ eternally. And as Paul continues in Romans chapter 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in, his, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Through faith we are brought back from the dead, church. And through faith, the faith that we have been given, we will live forever with Christ, with our God in eternity, singing his praises. Where, O grave, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? I don't know what darkness you are living in this morning. I don't know what darkness you can feel. But I do know of one who conquered the darkness. Whose light is so powerful that the darkness cannot overcome it. I know of one who defeated sin and death. One that calls us to join him. That longs to give us the faith that saves. He calls us to baptism. He calls us to faith. That we might join him in his death. And then join him in his resurrection. For he is risen, church. He is risen. What a fantastic proclamation of hope that is for each and every one of us. What a merciful, gracious, loving, powerful, and amazing God we serve. Amen.